Hey, Stuart. Hey, Tracy. Morning, guys. Morning. No questions for me to answer came in. So um, anything from you guys is very welcomed. It was negative one here today. <laughs> Not really a it's, question, but um, it's you know, cold here chilly too. Getting out. <laughs> yeah, our our walk was negative three this morning. Oof. Yeah, didn't last long. Cooper Cooper was his paws didn't like it. Yeah, yeah. There was somebody out jogging with their dog. First, that like when when it was negative one, I was like, oh yeah, <laughs> it's rough. Yeah. I can't imagine the dog was happy. Makes me feel like I'm in the tropics at twenty five. <laughs> and you you guys wait oh Stuart, are you not in in oregon right now no i am i mean, it's, oh, it's i just, just met, such it's a 20, difference between you guys it, there's it, the there's difference is difference. the mountains and the east and west side of the mountains oh. so yeah i'm at 25 degrees in portland this morning maybe 26 by now it's a beautiful day it's sunny but it's not cold like it is in bend i mean i i didn't look at the mountain this morning yesterday the mountain was about five degrees so Mm -hmm. I'm sure it's colder this morning. Or cold. It's supposed it's sunny now. It's supposed to be sunny in 35 today, so it's going to warm up. Going back to normal, yeah. <laughs> Megan, I do have a question. Mm -hmm. Um for somebody who this is one of my employees who's an avid bicyclist. Um she eats primarily vegetarian not because um she doesn't eat meat just that she doesn't really like the taste of meat and I'm sure she doesn't get, you know, nearly enough protein based on what we talk about here. Um, she recently started taking uh, sort of at my recommendation, which is your recommendation started taking creatine and thinks she sees a pretty significant difference is in her performance, is that likely because she doesn't get enough protein that she sees? Because I like I take creatine, but I can't really tell the difference. Likely because she's not she doesn't have a lot of meat in her diet, so cr meat will have some creatine. It's not necessarily the the protein per se. Um, right. It'll be the, the the meat that has the creatine, and a lot of the um, you know creatine is usually beneficial for for a lot of people but a lot of times the people who who subjectively see the most difference in taking it are vegans and vegetarians and people not eating a lot of animal protein already or meat okay. already yeah yeah because she really i mean she started taking it probably two months ago and she just said and she, you know it's also kind of it's always a conundrum right because it's an example of one and she was injured at the beginning of last year. And so I think it took her quite a while to sort of get her base back up. She's 50, 55, 56 years old. Um, she's, I would say, much fitter in general than the average American, but she's not skinny. Um, you know, I don't think she's terribly overweight, but you, nobody would look at her and say she was skinny. So she's pushing around, you know, she's carrying around on a bicycle, you know, riding up hills with more weight for her size than, than somebody who's thin. Um, anyways, she just really, she started taking creatine probably two months ago and just said, Oh my God, I feel like I'm indestructible. <laughs> that's great. And I mean, that's probably if she's taking, you know, five or so grams a day, that's probably the amount of time it's going to take to saturate muscle, um, with creatine. And, you know, it's, uh, is it more from a performance standpoint? Because some people also, um, 
report like from a, 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 a cognitive standpoint that it's also beneficial. Okay. Yeah. No, I haven't asked her about no. cognitive or if she's noticed anything, but this is definitely a muscle performance standpoint where she's gone out on some harder rides. You know, she, she rides through the winter and, and she just felt said, you know, like she's totally on board with continuing to spend money and, and put creatine in her body. Cause she feels like it does make such a difference. Good. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I thought it was pretty cool. Cause like I said, I mean, I take it, I'm not, I don't think there's any negative to it, but I'm not sure that I can tell the difference. Um, and of course I'm, I'm eating, you know, 140 or so grams of protein plus or minus every day, all, all from meat mm-hmm. and with liver and heart and so on. So, yeah. yeah. And there, there's still reason to take it. You just, you know, aren't probably aren't going to be seeing subjectively what somebody like her sees. Yeah. Yeah, I actually think my girlfriend who doesn't, my partner who doesn't really get enough protein, keep trying to get her to get more protein, but she is having a hard time figuring out how to eat that much or feeling like she feels good when she eats that much or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but she is taking creatine some now, and I think maybe she's noticing a difference. But. Good. What about uh, for, for your partner? What about not like non-meat sources of protein, whether it's fish or eggs, or if she does well with high quality dairy? It really has to do with the quantity of food and, uh, and, um, yeah, that's what it's, powders can be an option. Yeah. She's done a little bit of that, but it seems to maybe get some digestive issues with protein powders, at least the ones yeah. she's tried. Yeah. Um, it's a, it's a challenge. She struggles with, um, constipation, not real bad, but struggles with, as she says, she says, Oh, didn't, you know, didn't use, didn't have an, a bowel movement, enough bowel movement today. You know, it's just like, and then some days she has a day where she's like, woohoo, it was good. <laughs> you know, it's like, so it's not, it's just something that she sort of struggles with and feels like it gets worse if she tries to eat more. Mm. Um, and so I don't know. She eats, she, you know, when I started eating paleo, I was totally surprised that she, for a thing that came out of her mouth when I said I was going to do it was, yeah, do that for me too. And I was like, whoa, because when she and I, we've been together 22 years, but when she and I first started dating, her family called her the cereal sister because if she was hungry, she would eat a bowl of cereal. (laughs) And she's always been pretty thin, but she went to being, she's more sensitive about eating carbs. And I don't know if it's from a realistic standpoint or not but she has this feeling that headaches can be brought on for her by eating carbs. Mm -hmm. And so she pretty much survives on meat and fruit and not a lot of fruit, but some fruit and greens and a lot of greens. I mean, God, she eats a massive amount of greens. (laughs) So, you know, it's not, not really any big deal for her to to eat a gigantic bowl of kale or, you know, cooked kale or cooked collard greens or cooked whatever. And she just, or big pack, batch of broccoli. I mean, it's like, <laughs> she, sometimes she goes, you spend so much money on meat. I go, well, you've ever considered how much you spend on greens? <laughs> so well, calorie for calorie, you're probably spending, spending less. Uh, it's, uh, I don't know. Potentially. I don't know. It's, you can get a lot of greens for the same four bucks or five. So that I eat meat each meal. Yeah. So, you know, it, 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 at the least expensive meat I seem to be able to buy right now. And that's because 
that's not quite the least of pretty, no, pretty close. Um, it's the ground meat that I buy and it's eight bucks a pound and I eat half a pound every time I sit down. So yeah. Prices have gone up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. On that particular meat, I'm surprised because it hasn't gone up in a while. So it's like, I'm, I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop. Almost everything else I buy has gone up, but not that. Yeah. It seems so. local, local farmers are less less susceptible to that at least that's what i found in the short term oh yeah yeah well and and one of the ones that i you know it's funny to be a recipient of this sort of stuff because what i basically think of is like one of the farmers i buy for at the psu market this guy's in his 80s i mean he's really healthy for a guy who's in his 80s he's really mobile and gets around and everything but i think he owns his farm and he, you know, a lot of his sunk costs, his long-term costs have all been paid off, right? And I get lamb from him at a price that just makes my jaw drop. I mean, I get a leg of lamb for eight, eight or eight fifty a pound wow. without the bone in it. You know, which I'd sort of prefer the bone, but I'm not willing to deal with all the connective tissue for most of the way that I cook it. So I'm like, no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, we just got a whole lamb that came out to about seven per pound for any cut we wanted, I think is what it was. Yeah. And when you buy a whole animal, you usually yeah. get a better deal. So it's pretty amazing where I could buy pieces of the lamb for, for that deal. For, yeah. For that sort of price. Yeah. And I keep waiting. I, he's got to raise his prices. It seems like, but again, like I said, he probably owns his farm. You know, he's been doing it for a long time. I know sometimes you wonder how people make it work when they have a good price, but I'm, I'm, hesitant to tell him he should raise his price. (laughs) (laughs) Megan, I wanted to see what you thought about um, sprouting grains and how important that might be for something like amaranth in particular that I do a lot of or any beans and lentils. Like I I don't typically sprout things I I have ages ago, but. Yeah. um, You know, I think there's a decent argument for it as far as increasing the nutrient bioavailability, decreasing the anti-nutrient content of things like phytates. Um, Some people find that it has a significant effect on digestion. Some people don't. So uh, my feeling is that if, if you're not living off of plants and you don't see a big digestive effect, a positive digestive effect for doing that. So basically what I'm saying is if, if you can get most of your nutrients from, you know, high quality animal sources, and you're just kind of supplementing grains and legumes and beans as additional calories and carbohydrates, then I don't think it's, it's totally necessary. Um, if it's not, you know, if, if, if it's just as easy to do it than not, uh, which often it's not. Um, but if it, if it is that I would say, yeah, sure. Go for it. But for somebody like yourself, um, not sure it's going to be, give you a huge return on your investment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If, if you are a vegetarian, um, and you were not able to get, you know, some of these minerals and, and vitamins that are bound up in anti-nutrients and not as bioavailable in those things, then in beans and grains and legumes, then I would say, yes. Um, you know, if, if you can do that, great. Um, but since you're also eating, you know, animal protein and, and, you know, getting vitamins and minerals from there, I, again, I don't, I don't think it's, it's totally necessary. I'm just wondering, you know, the digestive system still seems to be sensitive to some things or it shifts when I don't necessarily know a cause. Yeah. Um, 
so if things like that being easier to digest, I, I don't know that they're hard to digest. I mean, I go through periods where I'm feeling great and I'm eating those all the time. So I don't think they're necessarily the root cause, but if it, it makes them easier burden. to digest, it could be adding, right. Yeah. And would it matter on, on getting the benefits from the, the fiber, both soluble, insoluble from those things for constipation wise and cholesterol wise, no. sprouting wouldn't do anything to that. No, I don't believe so. Okay. Yeah. And it's about the total amount you're eating as well. You know, so again, for somebody who's eating a lot of those things, whether it's, you know, somebody on a plant-based diet or somebody just eating a lot of those things in the context of an omnivorous diet, um, then it might be worth, especially from a digestive burden standpoint, sprouting, soaking, that kind of thing, fermenting for some people, um, <clears throat> so that it reduces that burden. Uh, but I, I certainly, you know, if, if digestive system is still kind of a little wonky sometimes, I don't think it would be a bad thing to experiment with. Maybe I'll try it at least with the amaranth. Yeah. Um, on that note, do you know amaranth, what type of, I found different things, what type of fiber it is better in, um, I should have pulled up what I had had before. You mean soluble versus insoluble? Soluble versus insoluble and what, what benefit it has. Yeah. Let me see. Oh, and I was reading, yeah, the amino acid content of it is supposed to be really good for people, especially who aren't eating meats. It's supposed to be one of the better grain grains to include in your diet. Probably, and I'm looking on PubMed right now because you want to look at, especially if you're if you're getting mixed information from Google or the internet. Um, you see, see if I can. Okay, so relatively speaking, um, soluble fiber contents of amaranth, buckwheat, buckwheat, and quinoa were significantly lower than those of insoluble fiber. So um, it's going to have, looks like more insoluble than soluble. Let's see if they actually quantified it. Yeah, and they're giving me multiple multiple references for that here. I can, I can and that's more that. to benefit, um, constipation, correct? Uh, not necessarily. Um, for some people too much insoluble is actually problematic for constipation mm -hmm. uh, or, or the opposite end, um, loose stools, diarrhea, but, um, soluble seems to be the one that is like most beneficial for stool quality across the board. And then insoluble, in my opinion, or in my um, experience, seems to be a little bit more person dependent. You just kind of have to play with it. Um, let me see if I can. Okay, this is what I'm looking at. Um, and this this study was looking at 
dietary po uh, fiber, polysaccharides of amaranth, buckwheat, and quinoa grains, a review of chemical structure, biological functions, and food uses. Um, and if you just, you know, look at amaranth, for example, well, again, they set up here, soluble fiber across the board was lower uh, than insoluble. And then um, amaranth species has more insoluble fiber than soluble. Um, and like for buckwheat, it looks like they kind of quantified it. 2.9% um, insoluble. So it's not really that much of a difference in buckwheat, at least. Um, so yeah, it, it does seem higher in, in insoluble fiber. Okay, thanks. Mm -hmm. um, another thing was, what do you think about health impacts of GMO crops? I think bigger picture of environmental and what they're doing to to cons food consumption and in <laughs> our lands is is another question with all the Monsanto stuff and everything. But health wise, what's the argument in your take? So my feeling is that we don't know enough. And when we don't know enough, use the precautionary principle. And <laughs> like if 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 we don't know the the potential downsides and we don't have enough um, even if we don't just have enough science to support it yet, um, I, I personally don't consume anything that is GMO related or, you know, um, yeah, GMO, I guess not grown, but is, is a GMO food, um, just laboratory because... GMO recent mm -hmm. year. I mean, yeah, genetically modifying it's... has been going on by hand, whatever, like, sure. Yes. But, but your, your conventional... rapid pace laboratory GMO. Um, just because I, I think that the true answer is we don't know. There's a lot of speculating out there, but I don't know enough to say that any of it is founded in science. So my feeling is I just play it safe because yeah. I don't know. Yeah, one of the interesting other things that I think isn't considered much when we talk about human health and food and other things is the um, the long-term epigenetic, the hereditary epigenetic effects. Mm -hmm. um, just because it, I think I brought this up here before, but there was, there's a guy who took cats, domestic cats, and created two lines of cats and deprived one of them of taurine, which cats need. And they got worse over generations. And so it makes me wonder you know, how much of the current health problems you see, how much of the problems you see where people or such so many people have problems, how many of those are actually two or three generations in and we're not going to fix them. So even if you got them onto good food today, you're not necessarily going to fix them for two or three generations. Cause that's what he saw in these cats was he made them pretty, he made the line without touring look pretty ugly, but they were still surviving. You know, they just weren't very healthy. And then when he started put touring back into that line over three, the course of several generations, they got healthy again. So, I mean, that to me was, that's an element that I don't think we, our science looks at at all. I mean, it doesn't even try. It'd be very difficult. Yeah. Well, one but of that's the, about, one of that's the, about the go ahead. Yeah, sorry. sorry. I, I was going to say one of the examples I heard was there's a, you know, like a town in Norway or something that has these incredible records of the people who have lived there and their health over like three or 400 years. And they looked at, the relationship between overfed 
and I think it was males, but it might've been males and females who are overfed between the ages of seven and 11 or underfed based on, you know, how well the crops did at that point in their life. Cause this was hundreds of years ago. And then what their heart disease risk when they were older was and what their offspring's heart disease risk was. And they could see some really interesting patterns. Now that doesn't prove anything, right? I mean, it's, it's a, a, a correlation or a set of patterns in one sample study, but it, there's just a lot of stuff that we never, we don't look at, you know, that we don't try, cause it's just too hard to look at. That's, that's one of the things that I always find curious is that, you know, even, even in the health spheres, one of my good friends in Seattle is a, and I should, I don't know, it'd be interesting to know if he knows Tommy Wood because they're both in Seattle, but um, one of my good friends who's been there for a long time and he's 70, he's an exercise physiologist. And he talked about how, you know, most of the studies about the response of muscles to exercise were done over six or eight weeks. And so they showed nothing about the long-term ramifications of what you were doing or what to expect long-term. They were all about really short periods of time, maybe two or three months at the longest. But, you know, the number of studies that go out and look at what happens if you do something consistently for a couple of years is almost non-existent. I mean, I don't know if that's still true, but that was when he talked about it, which was a long time ago. I think it's really easy for people to dive in and do studies that don't last long enough to really mean anything. <laughs> that's a great point. Um, Tracy, just bef before I forget here, sorry. this this is a little bit dated. This was back in 2016, but um, Chris interviewed this PhD candidate out of University of Washington um, on the state of the science uh, on GMOs. And again, it was back in 2016. So I'm sure there's a lot that's come out since then, but we'll link to this in the show notes if, if okay. you want to give it a listen. I, I honestly, I remember listening to it at the time, um, but I, I couldn't give you a synopsis of it now just because it's been so long. Sure. No, thanks. Yeah. And that what Stuart's saying, that long-term impact and the generational effects, I, it seems like it could be the biggest risk of something like GMOs, where things are happening so rapidly. And since the, what, 50s or 60s, when this really started picking up, is when we've had, it's been a few generations now, like in your cat example, <laughs> and, you know, the increase in all the diseases right now, like, we're not really able to trace or to know that that is the cause, but here we are a few generations out from when the current ways of GMO genetically modifying things really ramped up. And from what I understand, that's a, a potential, a big cause of um, the gluten sensitivities. Like that's when things started being genetically modified to, to contain more gluten. It's not that we couldn't have it before that everyone was so sensitive, but just all of a sudden, you know, more, faster than our bodies could, could adapt, um, over time, just everything contained more. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I certainly think it's, it's a very big possibility. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's just in, in conversations about this with people, it, you know, I, I get the, the pushback of it's something we've been doing forever. We've just figured out a way scientifically to do it faster, you know, more efficiently. And, you know, putting vitamin A in rice to help feed, to, to help give people who rice is their main source of in nutrition, you know, in other countries, um, more nutrients, it, you know, lowered the, the risk of 
whatever eye disease by X percent. I mean, there's stuff out there that, you know, they genetically modified these things and it had a, had a benefit according to whatever these handful of studies were, but it, it seems legit. Like there's ways it could be used for good. Absolutely. And I think it's context dependent and you can't say all GM, um, the techniques or, or processes are the same across the board, especially mm-hmm. with respect to human health and depends on the human depends on the context. Um, so yeah, there, it, it's a lot, it's a lot more nuanced of a conversation and a question than just like bad, good, black, white, you know, as, as things usually are. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, and last week we were talking about cholesterol and lipid test results and I didn't have them with me, but I do now and I'm, I'm getting them done again in one or two weeks. Um, but my overall last time was 247. My HDL was 96 and my LDL was 137. So the HDL very high, you know, plenty high. Um, but the other two, you know, fairly high based on what standard range is. Mm-hmm. And triglycerides 47. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's, again, it depends on where you look, but if you're looking at the data on all cause mortality for women, uh, total cholesterol up to 240 seems to like two, uh, one, one twenty to two forty, which is a pretty wide range is optimal, you know? Um, and then beyond and, that even. Yes. A, a little bit, right. You said 247. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So not much, right. Mm-hmm. That could have been your dinner the night before. It's hard, hard to know. That's, that's a, a small, small difference. Um, what was your LDL? 137. Yeah. So that, I mean, that's, and LDL by itself doesn't tell you much, but that's within the standard, the, not the standard range. Um, it's a little bit outside the standard range, but it's within the optimal range again, based off of Alcaraz mortality, which goes up to 170 for okay. for a female um so I, I, i'm you know it's again it, it's a it's a complicated topic mm-hmm. but at least based off of the all-cause mortality ranges your your right. numbers probably don't look as bad as you think they do and both were increased over the previous time so it'll be interesting to see what the one in a couple of weeks is if there's yep. a continuing trend of increase or if it stabilized or went down right and if if thyroid numbers are looking better if or if thyroid i think i don't know if we mm-hmm. talked about this last week but that definitely um impacts cholesterol um levels so that could be another oh, factor okay. for you as well yeah, if you're eating more food that. thyroid function is going up um it's possible that you know you would see those numbers go down again but it's hard to say unless you test mm-hmm. and then if you're concerned about heart disease risk from that. I mean, what other, what are other mortality risks are there if you're not overweight from having higher cholesterol? Do you know, Megan? Other I than mean, heart disease? That, do they claim other than heart disease? I don't actually believe there's a heart disease risk from it alone. Yeah. I, I, I it's been implicated in, um, like neurodegenerative diseases as well. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. It seems to be, it, it's one of those things where like, very high levels are implicated in cardiovascular and neurodegenerative diseases. Uh, levels that are too low are implicated in cancer. Um, so it's one of those things where like looking at all cause mortality is probably better than like targeting one particular thing. 
And do the studies you're trying to come from, do they separate out triglycerides? Like look at people with low triglycerides versus high triglycerides? No, no. There, I, I don't believe so. Because that was, and I wish I could remember the guy's name, but one of the guys that I listened to at one point about an hour long at one of the health, you know, the ancestral health conferences where he Feldman, had looked at- maybe? Dave Feldman? Uh, yeah, it might've been Dave Feldman. And, you know, he goes through this whole process and, and ends up saying, you know, if your triglycerides are below a hundred, uh, it actually looks like it's beneficial to have high cholesterol. Now, I don't know if he separated men and women at all. Yeah, um, I would, I would have to go back and look. Um, but there wasn't a, there wasn't a negative in the numbers that he saw. He said, if you're particularly, if you're above a certain age too, it appeared that if you're below a certain age, then the high, the high LDL and, you know, and, and not necessarily high HDL, but, and high cholesteride triglycerides, I'm sorry, triglycerides together were bad. But like, if you got below a hundred, then it didn't seem to be a, a factor. And then he threw in the, the stuff that's totally confounding. It doesn't mean anything where the oldest living people in the study had high, high LDL. <laughs> you know, these people who were over a hundred, there were like three or four people in the data who were still alive and, and all those people had high cholesterol. <laughs> It's an interesting observation, but I, it yeah, it doesn't mean anything, much. right? It, it absolutely doesn't mean anything, but it's really fun to throw that stuff out there and have people go. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. So, and also the, the information that where people have really, really high LDL, like 1500 or something, and they don't necessarily end up with heart disease where they have a genetic problem. Oh, the familial hypercholesterol. Yeah, no, that was, there was even something more than that. It was, okay. it was in one of the podcasts that, that Chris did with, and I'm forgetting his name, the guy Malcolm who studied. Kendrick. Yeah. With Mel Malcolm Kendrick. Yeah. Yeah. Those are where good he talked about. Tracy. Yeah. And, to those. Yeah. Tracy, okay. have you listened to either of those? Say what they were again. Malcolm Kendrick. No. And they're, they're NBT podcasts. Yeah. Okay. You know, if you're, if you're concerned about triglycerides being a cause of heart disease they're a good one to listen to <laughs> i mean if you, if you want to look for information that might tell you otherwise yeah. um you know i mean some of this is really tough right if what you're looking for and you go find it that doesn't necessarily mean that it's then it's the bias of that's what you wanted right, right. <laughs> it seems to be true with almost everything um yeah no, thank you. I will. You said you'll link to that, Megan. Yeah, yeah, we can, we can find. I believe he's been on the podcast twice. So we'll find Yeah, at least I was thinking twice or maybe three, but certainly twice. Yeah. And they were. Yeah. They can I mean, get pretty just, dense at times, but he he he's a good a good speaker and he explains things well. Yeah, my takeaway was just that from his his theory about how to model heart disease was something that was multi, you know, multi many many factorial. And so, yeah, LDL cholesterol somehow might fit in the mix, but as a lone marker, he didn't believe that any lone marker was what caused you to have heart disease. You know, so if you're, if you're managing your stress well, if you're eating real foods, if you're getting enough sleep, if you have relationships with other people and do a lot of social activities, I mean, those are all positive things in lifestyle, right? And so if all those things are, you know, if you're not lonely, if you're not, if you're not burnt out, there was, um, 
I don't know if either of you have ever listened to it. I've been listening to a podcast called, what the heck is it called? Um, sorry, now I'm going to go look for it so I can tell you. Um, feel better, live more. It's never heard of it. it Doctor, and I'm going to blow his first name. Rangan Chatterley. Oh, Doctor Chatterjee. Yeah, Chatterjee. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I've been listening to his podcast several episodes over the last couple of weeks, and he has one He's recently great. in the last couple of weeks um, that's about burnout and. I don't feel like I'm burnt out, but it was really le- neat to listen to the 10 steps he has for people who are burnt out because they're all things that are about good lifestyle. You know, they're all things that are about feeling good in, in the world. And so they're all things that could be useful to you if you don't think you get enough of them in your current lifestyle, right? Like spend time with friends, make time for yourself, you know, and, and schedule these things so that, so that you, and don't, you know, don't break them out. Like this morning, my partner asked me to do something that I would love to do for her, but it, it totally changed. She's going to be gone for a weekend. Her dad has Alzheimer's and I do really well with her dad. And she says, well, I'd pay for you to fly down. So you were there for the first day I'm there. So you could spend time with my dad because his caregiver is going to be gone. So I can go take my mom and do something. And it's like, yeah, I'd love to do that. But I'd already started to plan what I was going to do with my own time that where I didn't have someone else telling me, you know, around, I like, total alone time, which I don't get very often, you know, and it was like, okay. So I said, oh yeah, I got to think about this. You know, am I always going to just give up my own time for, to help somebody else, you know, which feels like a nice thing to do, but at some point you got to carve out some time that you say, this is my time. And you can't tell me, you can't come in and bug me. I get to do what I want to do. <laughs> Listen to a podcast, watch a MotoGP race, work on a motorcycle, whatever it is I want, bicycle, whatever I want to do. Those, those are things that are make, make me happy to do those. But if I don't get to do them anyways, I thought it was a really cool podcast. That's one of the more recent ones I listened to. And it was seven signs of burnout, 10 things, 10 action steps to do about them. And it was just him. No interview. It was his experience that he was given. So, but, and Tommy Wood, the first one I listened to, I think, was a Tommy Wood one on his. Yep, I, I, really I did enjoyed. listen to the one where he interviewed Tommy. And it's it's so interesting because all of those 10 things that he mentions, like they're, they're going to help you in so many other aspects of your health and your life. Um, yep. and, and, you know, there's yeah, a lot yeah, they of don't have to be applied to, be a... to so many things. Right. It's often when somebody gives advice to help somebody who's in trouble. The same advice can help somebody who's not in trouble. <laughs> you know, it's just like before you ever get in trouble, pay attention to this advice. <laughs> so. And then there's there's shiny object syndrome, shiny new object syndrome, where you know we're all or people are looking for the the you know latest and greatest silver bullet that's going to change things, um, new technology. And if if we all just kind of went back to the very basics, um, I think we'd be a lot healthier. Yeah, a lot happier too. I have, I have a little, I have a little bit of the shiny, shiny new object. And there's nothing wrong with that. Right. Um, but I, I think, you know, those basics should be in place as much as possible first, um, before you go looking for, for other things. Yeah. It seems like gluten-free is that shiny object and gluten-free just as in, let me replace <laughs> gluten with all the, the fake flour, baked breads and muffins and still sugar laden and high carb, low nutrient stuff. Like 
I see that a lot out there and people good, well-intentioned, I would say questioning my eating limited gluten and even, you know, maybe I'm probably taking it personally. I feel like, you know, judging that I, that I do eat some gluten at certain times. Um, like, well, you're not really gluten-free. Look, I'm totally gluten-free, but it's all like fake food stuff. Like, you should ask you them why they're gluten-free. Sourdough bread, right. <laughs> yeah, but it's that shiny new object. Just remove the gluten and it'll fix everything. Like, no, I think that's actually fairly minor. It's just most things that it's in aren't aren't healthy foods necessarily, but the, the gluten itself in moderate amount it isn't necessarily what I don't think of what messes my system up at least. Yeah. And I think so much of that. I mean, one of the things I've been more into what I eat and my health over the last 12 years than I was before that it's been a slow, gradual process, but I've, I've certainly come around to, if it works for you, that's great. You know I mean? It's like, if you can eat gluten and you feel great and your body works great, then great. And if you take gluten out, and that makes you feel great. And, 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 you know, if somebody goes, it's psychosomatic, well, it doesn't matter. Psychosomatic's great. real. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you know? And the other part is like, I went out, I actually ate pizza for the first time in a long time with gluten in it last week. And my system still doesn't work well, most of the time in terms of my digestive system. So it's always just a balance of how bad it is. Um, I don't feel, think I noticed any difference, but the flip add on to that, it was a friend visiting from out of town. There's a pizza place in Portland that's ranked as the 11th best pizza place in the country. Okay. To, to, yeah, I forgot the name already, but do you remember the name? I don't. Does it start with an A? It's, it's somebody's name. End. Yeah. Yeah, Southeast. It's been a few years since I've been You there. know, and this guy who came to town, this friend of mine, he was just all excited about going there. And because the, the guy's owner of the restaurant, he publishes a book on bread making and, and, you know, and so the fact that I was there with somebody who was just super excited to go there and have a meal there. And I just went there and went, I'm just going to eat, you know, I, there were things on the menu that were going to be better for me than other things. And I got some of those and I had a couple pieces of pizza and, you know, you're there having an incredibly positive social interaction. And I feel like my gut's much more likely to be messed up when I'm not happy than when I'm happy. So it was like, you know, I, I'm not going to go out and start eating pizza every night, <laughs> but it was a great evening. So, you know, on balance of things, I don't think it was having negative effect on me. Mm-hmm. That's a great mindset to have. Yeah. So, and if you don't want to eat it, don't eat it. <laughs> yeah. If it's not causing added stress or you feel like you're sad or missing something by by not eating these things it's probably better not to and if you're in the right mindset that hey no that's perfectly fine I know I feel better when I don't so but if it's again yet causing oh I wish I want I want and then you're missing out on something and then you're stressed about it like it's not any better for you yeah no I I can't even remember where I heard this but somebody was talking about a study where if people ate healthy foods, but they felt like it was a, you know, that they weren't the foods they wanted to eat. Yeah. If there was a stressor, they're like, I'm doing this because it's the right thing to do, but they didn't actually feel good about it. That that was worse for them than not eating. Yeah. That the feeling bad about eating the food they were eating or feeling like it was a stressor or whatever else. Mm -hmm. And I, yeah, if you're stressed out about the way you eat, 
it's probably not good. <laughs> I know I talked to Megan about I've been adding more beer back in, like alcohol in general, but for a long while it was just ciders and wines. Um, but for for a little while now, it's been beer fairly regularly. And a lot of it is our homebrewed beer. Um, and that's, it, it's a it's a social connection for me. Like I'm in a beer yeah. angels club. We're in a homebrew club. My husband and I sit with dinner and talk about, talk about the food and what we're drinking, you know, pretty, pretty regularly. Um, and th- there's very likely not a lot of gluten in any given 12 ounce of beer. And the fermenting, does that make it easier to digest? Who knows, but that's kind of where I've gotten gotten on on that is that it's worth it to add it back in to my life at this point and whenever I go through like oh digestion really isn't good right now or I need to need to be strict on everything for a few weeks or whatever that's certainly one of the things that that I know I can cut back on and I do but when yeah that's the other good thing. things and... be things become tools in your toolbox right it's like yeah. oh yeah I, if my gut's really messed up well I know there's things I probably shouldn't eat. <laughs> and Tracy, I'm glad, I'm glad you've come to that place. You know, I think it, it was, it was worth removing it for a period of time, um, mm-hmm. based off of, you know, your symptoms and what you had going on. But, um, I think that that, especially given how, how important it is to, to, <laughs> to your social life. Right. I, I think that that's a really, really great thing. Um, you know, that makes well, me happy here. Yeah. <laughs> and it's been long enough now that I've been removed from what the symptoms were prior to starting all this. Um, so that too, gives me a little more confidence that uh, uh, something doing something for the short term, isn't going to throw me back to where I was two years ago and I can't climb back out, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. These last couple of weeks haven't honestly been great, but not back to what they were certainly. So there's always so many variables. I know. And I was traveling two weeks ago, so still recovering from that. Though usually by now I'm better, you know, hard to say, but it's it's in the realm of, okay, I have my ups and downs. Like it's nothing extreme, but it's been a downward swing for a couple of weeks, I guess. Let's see. All right. Well, that's all I have. Yeah, right. I feel like I had some question in my brain, but I can't come up with it. So <laughs> other than okay. the, talking about the creatine and, and my employee. So, well, this is great. This is, this was, uh, this is fun. And thanks for all the links nice. and the resources from this one. Oh yeah. For yeah. Sure. We're linking a few things. Yeah. We can, we can thank Elaine. So Elaine, who's watching okay. this and listening, thank you for all of your, your work on the, uh, the show notes. Those are always great. Cool. Thank you. All right, guys. Have Bye, a good guys. one. Bye-bye. Bye.